I'm Pastor Aaron Shepherd, and you're listening to the sermon podcast of Union Congregational Church, a caring community connected through God, loving and serving all along life's journey. We gather for worship each Sunday at 10:15 a.m. in our sanctuary at 55 Rhodes Avenue, next to Bird Park in East Walpole, Massachusetts. You can also join us from anywhere online via our live stream by visiting facebook.com slash churchbythepark. For more information about our church and its ministries, visit churchbythepark.org. Now here's this week's message. The first scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 49. Then Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and see, I am sending upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. May God add a blessing to the hearing of this word. Our second scripture reading continues in Luke's gospel with the last four verses of the gospel. Let's continue listening for God's word for us here on this Ascension Sunday. Then Jesus led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. They worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple, blessing God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, all throughout this year, we have been following God's story and our story all through Scripture. We started way back in the beginning with the stories of the patriarchs uh, back in Genesis and continued on forward in through the life of Jesus. And now we have come to the end of the Easter season uh, to this series of stories about Jesus's life after resurrection. In fact, over the last few weeks, we've been hearing the last words of each of the four gospels in, in various forms. Uh, A few weeks back, we heard the end of John's gospel, where Jesus tells Peter to feed my sheep. And then he tells the beloved disciple to to witness to these things, uh, all the things that he has seen, all the signs, all the wonders. And then last week, we heard the end of Matthew's gospel, which is called the Great Commission, where Jesus sends the disciples out into the world to go and make disciples. Mark's gospel ends a similar way. Jesus tells them to to go and proclaim the good news. And here, Luke's gospel ends with this story of Jesus ascending into heaven. 
which is a strange thing to try to imagine in your mind. It's one of these stories, not unlike the resurrection, not unlike all of the miracle stories, that, that perplexes our natural reason. But, but the thing that struck me as I was reading the Ascension story this time, thinking of it as the, the last thing that we see or hear about Jesus in Luke's gospel, is that the last thing he does before he withdraws from them is he raises up his hands and he blesses them. He blesses them. And that's very familiar to all of us if we're here in worship on Sunday. Because how does every worship service end? I stand in the front, I lift up my hands, and I say the benediction. Of course, benediction is, is just a fancy term. It, it's from the Latin term benedictus, which just means blessing. Every service ends with a blessing, a benediction, and then we withdraw. We exit. We leave. It says right there at the end of your bulletin, our worship has ended. May our service begin. And so we see that in this gospel story. We see Jesus blessing the disciples, withdrawing from them, and then he tells them, wait in the city. The Spirit will come upon you, and then the work will really begin. And the thing about those benedictions, those blessings, is, is that I, I get to do that. I get to stand up here in the front of the service and bless everyone as we withdraw. But anyone can offer a blessing. There's nothing special about me that allows me to do it. Anyone can offer a blessing because a blessing is not just wishing someone well. A blessing are words of power that make us well. Throughout this Easter season, I've been talking about the ways we practice the resurrection of Jesus. And I think blessings are one of those ways, offering these benedictions, practicing this in our daily lives. And we all do this. And we don't realize it some of the time. I mean, when someone sneezes, what do you say to them? And when, and when you stub your toe, what do you say? Gosh darn it, or something like that. When I was in seminary, I had a professor who, who called these proto-prayers. They're the beginnings of a prayer to God. When we say to someone, bless you, it's, it's a shortened form of saying, God bless you. And, and, and the question is, well, what, it, what, what are you blessing them with? Good health, presumably. Because a sneeze is a sign of, you know, some, some illness, some, some sickness, some allergy, whatever. There's discomfort there, and so we pray for the person. We offer that prayer, that blessing to them in hopes that it will make them well. And in the same way, when we stub our toe on the coffee table, we, we invite God to share our frustration in that moment. And of course, it can seem a little silly to condemn a coffee table with the language of curses from heaven above. But sometimes it really does hurt that bad. 
And so we, so we, we do these prayers all the time, these little prayers. We say, bless you to the person who sneezes. We pray for people with cancer. We pray for people in need of healing. All of these are on the same spectrum. Sometimes we say, thank the Lord. Sometimes we say, Lord, have mercy. All of these, they're just the beginning of prayers. My seminary professor would say, go on, finish the prayer, say what you mean to say to God, and then you end with amen. Because when we say, Jesus Christ, it's hot out. He is listening. When you call upon God by name, he's listening. (laughs) Words of blessing and curse are often on our lips, and if the testimony of the playground is to be trusted, there is one prayer that all children seem to learn very early on, and that is, oh my God. Oh my God, if you go to the playground, you will hear this over and over again from small children. Oh my God, oh my God. And the interesting thing is sometimes you'll see here parents, like me, trying to tell their children, no, don't say oh my God, say oh my gosh. Because if you say oh my God, God's going to hear you. And if you're saying oh my God about, I don't know, a bug that you saw or something else, then then maybe you'll run the risk of being one of those people who cries wolf. And so God won't hear you at other times. But I I like to think of it that all all those oh my gods are all little prayers, little blessings, little celebrations of one thing or another that these children are lifting up as they go about their play. Of course... Most children probably don't think of those things as prayers. And it is also true that the everydayness of these expressions seems to denude them of their power. There's also the the blessings that that seem to have the opposite effect. In the South, there is a very famous blessing that has the opposite intention behind it. Oh, Shirley got a new haircut. Bless her heart. (laughs) Oh, these, you brought cupcakes. Bless your heart. We all know that, at least we think, that that is, that is a, a subtle way of conveying acrimony wrapped up in this nice religious bow. And it can make blessings seem like a, a, a tawdry thing. But I think that the power, the very fact that this is what Jesus leaves us with shows us that a blessing is a powerful thing. And blessings are an anytime snack. They are something we can indulge in at all times. Psalm 91 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. God's praises shall be continually on my lips. And when we practice that kind of blessing, gratitude becomes our attitude. Of course, it can be difficult to believe in the power of these blessings. And that's captured in the tension of this gospel story. Even as Jesus is blessing the disciples, he is withdrawing from them. Soon he will be absent from them. They will not see him anymore, but they will have to trust on faith that he is still listening 
and that his promises are sure, that the power he said would come to them will come. But it can be difficult to believe in that power these days. A number of years ago, I was gifted a book uh, by the 20th century theologian Reinhold Niebuhr. And the title of the book is, Does Civilization Need Religion? And it's amazing that that was a live question in 1927 when he wrote that book, and it is just as live a question today, I think. Though I think oftentimes our assumption is that the answer to that in in the modern frame is no. There's nothing necessary about our religion these days. We have all that we need. We all carry computers around in our pocket that can order us anything we want. We have so many problems, though, in this modern world of ours. Of course, I'm mindful of the events of last weekend. Last Saturday, there was a, a, a shooting in a grocery store in Buffalo. A young man came and attacked a grocery store in a black neighborhood because he wanted to kill people because of the color of their skin, because he thought that that was going to solve a great problem he believed he faced, that white people were being replaced by people of other skin colors here in America, and that this country was falling away from him. And the only solution to such a problem is to level the playing field by getting rid of those people. It's a modern solution to a modern problem, he seemed to think. But of course, it is nothing but brutality and toxicity. It's a horrible thing. And the next day, last Sunday, there was a shooting in California at a Presbyterian church where a Taiwanese church was gathered for a luncheon together and a man burst in there and killed people in their 90s and in their 40s, all the beautiful people who are come together in the church that we talked about just last Sunday in our worship service. And in the aftermath of these horrible events, of course, we offer our thoughts and our prayers, but increasingly, increasingly people are less and less satisfied with thoughts and prayers. And they say, why, why do you just keep praying about all these things? What good is that doing? We don't need those blessings. We need a solution. We need to solve these problems. And indeed, what Niebuhr wrote about 100 years ago was that it's not just that science has given us all these great explanations for the world in which we live. Science has given us Uh, all sorts of ways of solving our problems. Modern science has shown how impossible it is without a jetpack to ascend into the clouds. But it's not just that that the truths of the Bible have been debunked by modernity. Niebuhr says that's not the real problem. The real problem, he says, the fact is that our modern era is irreligious, because religion has failed to make civilization ethical. Every person who disavows religion because some ancient and unrevised dogma outrages their intelligence, for that one person, several become irreligious because of the social impetus, impotence 
of religion. And that outrages the conscience. In other words, why doesn't this do anything? Why doesn't this solve these problems of hatred and brutality? What good are these thoughts and prayers when evil people with guns are roaming about with hatred in their hearts? But of course, that's not a new question. The wisdom of Scripture has shown us that even since the beginning, there has been a tension between the promise of God that this creation is good and just, and that there is at the same time very real suffering and evil in our midst. That tension has been there. It's the tension between a Christ who rises from the dead and blesses us with new life, but then withdraws and ascends and seemingly leaves us to figure things out for ourselves. How do we, in our time, overcome this sense of cynicism and the sense of the futility of our efforts in the face of the problems that the world breeds? How do we overcome the complexities of this divisive time? Well, I think the cynics get one thing right, and it's that we can't overcome these problems. Not by ourselves, anyway. Call it faith, call it stubbornness, though. I have, ever since I got that book, I got it before I went to to seminary, before I went to graduate school, before I would go on to write a dissertation about this very question, I I have doggedly held to the idea that the answer to the question, does civilization need religion, is yes. Yes, even civilization, even modernity, even freedom and rationality and all the gifts of our modern age, even then we need religion. And it's not just the testimony of history, it is the testimony of our hearts, that we need to acknowledge when we fall short, that we need to lean on something greater than ourselves And trust that we are not left on our own. That though Jesus ascends, Jesus is not absent. Jesus is present in the absence. And Niebuhr reminds us that this is actually one of the great things about the Christian faith. He says, a religion which is perfectly at home in the world has no counsel for it, which the world could not gain by some other method. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is not at home in this world. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is something other than the reality of brutality. Because in this world, Christ was crucified. He was nailed to a cross and put into a tomb. But then God did something miraculous. And Jesus is alive and resurrected, and alive now in a new way, a way that is beyond this world. And so it does seem strange in our modern world to think in this otherworldly way. It does seem strange, even shameful sometimes, to say, oh my God, instead of oh my gosh, to say God bless you instead of just bless you. But if this worldliness is the only alternative we have, 
This world where people are gunned down because of the color of their skin, where the circumstances of your birth can determine so much of your destiny, where freedom is only ever a matter of what the government or your bank account can afford for you, if, if this empty and impersonal, purely material world is all that we have, nothing more than the sum of our suffering and our modest gains, then perhaps we should not be so shy about laying claim to the otherworldliness, the promise of abundant life that is in Christ Jesus. And so, friends, I invite you to practice blessing, to put God's name in your mouth, to use that power wisely, not on the coffee table, but to use it to provide healing and wholeness to people in times of need, to give yourself courage to stand up against the great evils of our time that feel insurmountable. We can indeed practice our faith here in this house of God, this place where it feels safe to do so. And the disciples did that. It says they were worshiping in the temple every day. But eventually the Spirit came, and it pushed them out into the world. And in pushing it, them out, it empowered them to practice blessing, not just in the temple, but out in the world, in their everyday lives, in every moment that calls for the intervention of God, where pain and suffering seem like an end, but God promises a new beginning, an abundant life. That is that spirit that Jesus promised them. It is the spirit that abides in us now to practice this otherworldly faith and to keep God's praises on our lips. As the psalmist said, not just on Sunday morning, but to bless the Lord at all times. Amen. Thank you for listening. I hope that God's word has come alive and blessed you today. If you want more information about Union Congregational Church, once again, feel free to come and visit us on Sunday morning or online at our website, churchbythepark.org.